This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. So I'm Kevin Callahan. I help organizations and leaders stay relevant in the age of uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, which is, I believe, where we find ourselves. And I do that a variety of different ways. They all start with people and helping people understand where they are and where they're going and help leaders become more effective uh, with that. And sometimes there's some agile coaching, sometimes there's organizational development. This is the Designer and Agile series with Kevin Callahan. Okay, so the idea is to put abstraction where where we least understand things. And uh, what I'm hearing is that you were in a situation where you had a UX designer and you had to negotiate a relationship change. Were you guys successful with that? It was a long time ago. I, I think we got better at it. He started, this was way, you know, this man, <laughs> how many years ago, a decade ago. Uh, so he, he, we started using a really cool tool at the time called Balsamic that made really lovely, very rapid prototypes that were clickable. You could put in front of users and, and then they could play with them and get, you know, get feedback on them. So that was, that was kind of cool. I think we were okay at it. I don't think we ever really got great, but we were also you know, all very, very early in our journey on this stuff. So, for example, you're, put, you're putting your finger on a couple of things here. Prototypes yep. and the effort to create them. You're talking about Pixel Perfect. I've, I, too, have seen situations where, in this case, it was a product owner who was working on the... She was using a prototyping tool. I forgot what it was, but it creates basically a flow uh, so you can have all the screens and all the buttons. When you click on them, they go to the right, another screen. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but what I saw was that product owner was... It was an emotional impact to her personally if they learn something new and they haven't even written the code yet, but they had invested a lot of time in that prototype. And so there was a reluctance on her part to respond to change or or, or at least try to uh, contain the change. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I I think it's, I think um, one thing that a lot of teams that I work with don't have a very good grasp of is that early in product development cycles in that life cycle, you're, you're after knowledge. And in that context, that knowledge is the value, right? That's why you build a prototype. You don't build a prototype to get kind of production ready code. You, you might build a prototype just to sort of stress test an idea, but, but then that answer is the value, right? Right. Right. And, and, and so if the answer is the value feedback and speed become critical. And additionally to that, you get into, excuse me, you get into options theory and, you know, real options and options being having as many of them as you can, because it's trial and error. And so you want to, well, not as many as you can, it's it's more complicated than that, but uh, you want multiple ones that you can run either maybe in parallel or you can run very in very quick succession, and they have to be really cheap and really fast. Real options is an economic valuable right to make or else abandon some choice that is available to managers of a company. 
because they often concern projects or investment opportunities. It's referred to as real because it's referring to tangible assets instead of a financial instrument. A very illustrative and short and sweet book about learning how to use real options for managing project risk is a graphic novel called Commitment. It is by authors Mason, Mats, and Geary. There's a link to the graphic novel in the show notes. So, you know, as we're talking, here's, here's, here's the, one of the, the most powerful examples of this that I've uh, ever directly witnessed myself. And it has nothing to do with software. It has to do with remodeling our house back in 2010. Mm. And we chose the firm that we chose to, to do the work. One of the main drivers for me wanting to use them was I heard the two principals talk at a, a conference and the principals are an architect and a general contractor. And so they're business partners. And usually <laughs> in construction, you have your architectural firm who has no formal relationship with your construction firm. Hmm. Kind of sounds like business and IT, right? <laughs> and so I, <laughs> the architects will design and draw things often without any or very little understanding of the costs associated with building them or the difficulties in building them, the implementation is not their domain. So basically, the, the architect, they iterate their, their design phase, and then they hand the blueprints off to the contractor. And at that point, changes are very costly because there's so much effort mm-hmm. already sunk into this, this plan, right? Right. And so what, what these guys did, which was really uh, novel, and I just, I loved it, right? And, and in 2010, I was already deep into agile stuff. I was a coach at that point. I might already been a scrum master for a couple of years and I'd already been uh, on a scrum team as a developer. And so they showed up to my house, uh, they being the architect, the contractor, and they brought their, uh, their foreman, their construction crew foreman with them. And the architect sat down at our dining room table with uh, the existing blueprint of the house and a stack of tracing paper. Hmm. And he just started rapidly sketching okay. um, potential layouts. And when he got to one that he thought he was happy with, he would kind of hold it up to the rest of us and say, can we do this? And, you know, we'd say things like, well, if you put the bathroom in that corner, there's no plumbing yet over there. And, and we don't know if we can tie it in because of the drain run. And say, oh, okay. So he, you know, well, where can we put it? Well, right now it's right here. So put the bathroom there, and, and that's your constraint design around that. And so, you know, after it, it didn't take him long. I mean, twenty, thirty minutes, and he, you know, by the end of it, he had this kind of big stack of discarded tracing paper and a version that everybody said, yeah, that looks really, really good. And we'd all been able to put feedback and contribute. And the foreman's like, yep, I can, I can direct the crew on that. And the contractor said, yep, like we can sign a contract on that. And the architect said, yep, you know, aesthetically it works. And as the homeowners were like, yeah, that looks really, really great. Wow. Okay. If we translate into that into software terms, then the idea is that the designer, the uh, perhaps uh, application end users, or for certain, for sure, at least the product owner and the developers are in the room together, 
and they're rapidly creating the prototype rather than what I hear designers tell me is what they like to do is they like to maintain their own separation from the team and meet with the product owner or meet with other uh, contributors and then work on the design either uh, they, they go have a conversation with those contributors or the product owner and then they go back into at their desk and they work their artifacts which is the the knowledge that they're trying to capture then they bring it to the team and they sort of like deliver it to the team and then and that's not very agile because the team wasn't there for for the discussion just right as it's completely opposite of what you've just described it the team wasn't there for the discussion the team didn't interact now they're interacting with somebody who's invested some time who's got some sunk costs in the prototype and uh, maybe some of their questions won't even uh, will be new questions that the designer didn't even consider when they first had the discussion yeah you know and there's a couple of dynamics there one is that you know what what i what i suggest we're trying to do is build shared understanding and and everybody needs to understand everybody being product folks like any anybody involved in this value stream ideally has the same understanding of what we're doing you know the same contextual understanding and the way you get that in my experience is you include people and you do things like impact mapping and story mapping and rapid prototyping and safe to learn from experiments and probes and all of these things. And together, people learn and iterate toward the optimal design. And that optimal design is out there somewhere, but you have to discover it. Hmm. And so the question becomes, well, how do you discover it? And there's two kind of modes. One is sort of a heroic mode, which is what I would categorize what you just described or the designer's a hero mm. it's up to them <laughs> to do the work of the design right and only they can do the design and thus they they're going to build and maintain kind of communication barriers between themselves and and the other parts of that value stream if you ask them how do you succeed they'll say oh well i have to do it I succeed by me personally versus more of a post or a collaborative version to say, look, the, the design is somewhere in the space between us. And, and our job is to together to reveal it. And that's more facilitative and, and more inclusive and, and a good like story mapping session will help get at it. Right. In that case, the designer and the team are both kind of you know, the visuals kind of like they're on the outside of, of this idea that's trying to come forth. And their job is to, through conversation and collaboration and, you know, drawing on whiteboards and flip charts and sticky notes and all this stuff, try to articulate in a way that everyone can understand together, what are we after? So I think those are really important dynamics, right? Like, is the designer a hero or is the designer like more of a servant leader? Right. Agile Grande teaches you systems thinking through dramatic storytelling, such as Carter takes a job to improve a logistics company's adaptability, but efforts to scale agile practices are being blocked by Mr. Cherneski, a vice president who's organized the company into siloed pigeonholes in order to secretly make millions with a dark web shipping service. Carter's life is in danger, he goes underground, 
and a spy agency hunts for him. When Carter uses systems thinking, systems modeling, and organizational change to save his company and his life, you get to learn how to apply that to your organization as well. Get your free copy of Agile Grande at leanpub.com. The first episode of the Designers and Agile series with Kevin Callahan started in episode 128. You can search it down by going to your favorite internet search engine and typing in Lancer Agile Thoughts Archive. If you're listening to the show on a podcast player, there's some great show notes, so you can tap, tap, tap over there and read the cliff notes of what we will be discussing in this series. And if you're not using a podcast player, just go back to the website where you downloaded this podcast and you'll see them right there. Next episode, more Kevin Callahan. So everything you said makes sense to me from an agile perspective is that designers should work together with the team rather than work independent of the team and their uh, clients. So why don't designers do that? 